0: Give me fuel, give me fire, give me Metallica turned into a circus actor! Ellie Can I say something that I think is bullshit? Yes, we sell out. He also told me he was on acid. Yeah, you better wash that mic off. I was gonna fill it up with my own urine. Alcoholica. And I talked about digging a hole in fucking dirt, smoking hash through the ground.
1: This is Mick
2: Rock, also known as The Voice on Enter Sam, and you're listening to and podcast for all.
3: Welcome back to the Podcast For All, I'm Shane Obershaw. And I'm Jeff Winslow. Jeff, Season 5, Episode 8, it's a special week,
1: 5.8. is a very special week this week. We have a special guest that I can't wait to talk to. I am currently in Portland, not Maine. Portland? You going to go to Frank's Noodle House? <laughs> I don't
3: think so. Uh, <laughs> Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine is where the infamous footage of Jason making a sandwich was filmed. Did you know that?
1: Uh, actually, I don't think I did know that. Portland, for Oregon. fucking
3: sandwiches. You got that right. Uh, my hotel room is next to the airport. Surprise, surprise. There is a light rail transit passenger train that runs right underneath my room. And room service is right outside, so this could be a little noisy episode. Let's cross our fingers.
1: Is there a freeway by you as well? it's eh, a couple miles away, but when you got to I'm sure report... there's roads that are around, so essentially yeah. you have planes, trains, and automobiles around you. Basically, 7.30 in the morning, very unlike us to be recording at this hour. Yeah, no, we're never up at this time, at least to record. I mean, I'm up at this time, but just not to record an episode. A year and a half in the life of Metallica. How many times do you think you've watched it? Oh, man. Part one or part two are collectively as a whole. Collectively. Oh man, 50 to 100 times, I'm sure. I'm going to say 200 for me. I remember buying
3: it in 1995.
1: I got it a little bit later in life. DVD? VHS? Uh, DVD, yeah. Gotcha. Yep, early 2000s is when I remember my dad introduced me to that DVD, or that video, I should say, and he brought me to Best Buy so I could buy it.
3: When you hear Year and a Half in the Life, what's the first image that comes to your mind?
1: Uh, First image is uh, something from them in the studio. Probably when they were recording Sandman and they're all sitting around uh, in one-on-one and James has got his long Amish beard. and I don't know why, but I I feel like when I think of Year and a Half, that's just what I picture. I always picture the wood paneling, one-on-one studios, Bob Rock.
3: You can ask me that question... Uh, next hour, and my answer will change because I have like five images just
1: burnt in my head. Exactly. I feel like there's there's a few select key images or key scenes, if you will, that really stand out. But it's for me, a lot of it is in one-on-one. And I know we talked about this recently where I told you I've arguably have seen part one more times than I've seen part two. Right. So I feel like that's why it just it stands out to me more. But... How about you? What's what's the first at at this, you know, morning hour, what is the image or scene that stands out to you for a year and a half? If you want weight,
3: I'm your fucking guy. <laughs> I'm
1: your fucking guy. <laughs> it always a comes
3: one. with the quote. Uh when you say it, the image that comes to my mind is the the cover artwork of the two VHSs. Oh yeah. Which on one part is their actual faces, and their other part is their skulls.
1: The skulls, yep. Yes. I always thought that was a super cool design. Very fitting.
3: When I think of footage, it's usually one-on-one, part one, dark studio, uh, drumming uh, takes. Yeah. And then when you look on his hi-hat and his crash cymbal, which is his far left side, all the porno centerfolds that they had posted.
2: Oh, why'd you bring
1: this all here?
2: Why'd you bring this
3: lawn? <laughs> I brought a Jason, I got a magazine for Jason, Playgirl. <laughs> <Yeah>, Playgirl.
0: <laughs> Lars Ulrich's favorite magazine because it has large breasted. <laughs> he also likes the best of Busty, which comes out annually. <laughs> you didn't bring any magazines for James? Yeah, I did. Oh, oh no. Torso, Honcho, Inches. In- Bob Rock it's used to read this while they were making there Slippery One She left the here when it was her last one. This, no, these, these are Jason's magazines Uncut and Play Guy. Do you want to watch this Madonna pornographic video? Yeah. No, no! Mom, why do you bring all this stuff? Fine. Go to the road, man.
1: You know, speaking of the Black album. Black Album Deluxe Box Set. Uh, I saw that you had gotten yours. Have your you man. have you gotten a chance to go through and listen to all of the Blacklist now Now that it's completely out? I got my box on Thursday, and since
3: then I haven't had 29,000 hours to watch all the footage and listen to all the footage <laughs> right. because that's just how much there is.
1: Yeah. yeah I, have I watched
3: a majority of the DVDs. I have listened mm-hmm. to the top things I want to listen to, but I would say I'm... About 30, 40 percent through it all. It's it's overwhelming. It's amazing.
1: Oh, I'm sure it's overwhelming. Um, yeah, just the the blacklist album itself is overwhelming. Maybe fifty three songs. And we I, finally I, got I to hear Corey it. Taylor. Yeah, so I went through, and of course, I had to listen to all the ones that I knew of first. So, like, I yeah, I listened to Corey Taylor's. I listened to Cage the Elephants. You know, which I actually really liked. Their Unforgiven. Very good. Um. The one that has stood out to me the most, and it's going to come as probably a pretty big shock to most of the APFA listeners, because as most know, Black Album isn't my favorite album, and most of the mainstream quote-unquote songs aren't exactly my favorite Metallica songs. That being said, my favorite cover that I've heard so far, which I've heard lots of them on that record, is Darius Rucker's cover of Nothing Else Matters wow absolutely amazing and he stayed you know really wow pretty true to the original but he changes up a couple melody lines and how he sings it and the dude is just a phenomenal singer and phenomenal musician and i don't know what it is about that but i heard it and it really just grabbed me
3: never thought you'd go with one of the hits uh if we're talking (laughs) about else matters i gotta go with chris stapleton
1: Chris Stapleton's is really, really good. I love yes. Chris Stapleton's cover of it. it. You know, it's got the country vibe. But I, you know, we know that, you know, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish—they're a rock band—and then he went into a country, you know, realm. And you know, not as country as Chris Stapleton, but definitely still has that country vibe. And I feel like he put a really, really good spin on "Nothing Else Matters" with still keeping it very true to the original.
3: Before we get to Adam, how about Ghost?
1: Yeah, with Enter Sandman, they really they made it like a theatrical sounding song. A typical Ghost song, I knew it'd have that kind of spin, that kind of twist to it. But uh,
3: very, very impressed with how that turned out.
1: Yes, I was too. I. I liked Ghost and like I said, Cage the Elephant, with it. what they did with Unforgiven. Obviously not as heavy. Very, you know, kind of that like post-rock slash, I don't, I don't want to say noise rock because then people might write in and say, well, they're not a noise rock band, but Great. kind of that post-rock sound. But they did it in a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Respectful way, if that makes sense. Like, I just, I really liked it. The
3: Blacklist is here. The box set is here. We have talked the last, what, 10, 15 weeks about the blacklist. It ends with an amazing cover of The Struggle Within.
1: Absolutely. I agree. It was different, but yet, I don't know. It just, it worked. You know what I mean?
3: I can't believe we're here. So what better guest to have than a special guest? Mr. Adam Dubin from New York, who you and I have quoted at least 2,000 times together, whether we're hanging out, recording a podcast, touring with the tribute band, or just having a simple conversation. His his footage, his material, and his quotes, you and I will have for life.
1: Absolutely. And before we jump into the interview with him, obviously we're going to be talking to him about the Black Album and Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica in that era. So we're just going to do it between you and I real quick, and then we'll introduce him. Does that work? we got 14 weeks until December at the Chase Center for the 40th anniversary. Which... Of the two rare songs, would you like to hear live? So, part two in Justice for All, Freight Ends of Sanity" versus "Dyers Eve."
3: Oh my God, that's tough. Last so we week have was the song shortest, "Last Week Was Shortest Straw" versus "Eye of the Beholder."
1: Yep. Now we have a song that we know Metallica oh. could—they could rock Freight Ends," but let's face it, "Dyers Eve." I mean, anybody—that would be a tough song to pull off. But it is my favorite Kirk solo, so.
3: Dude, that's tough. It's weird to think how Frayed and Dyers are considered rare, but to you and I, those are big classics. Yeah,
1: they're, they're <laughs> staples for us. Like, those are the songs like we, we would go to.
3: <laughs> I've seen Dyer's Eve twice. Mm-hmm. I have not seen Frayed, so for me personally, I'm really pulling for Frayed Ends.
1: I actually would have to go with Frayed Ends, too. Wow, dude, I didn't think you'd say that. I didn't think I would either, but honestly, I I just I feel like they could play that song tighter and better than they could. Even though it's a longer song, Dyers is just such a fucking it's so fast. There's so much going on in it. And I just I feel like live, especially in an arena, I feel like Freight Ends would have more power.
3: More of a groove, more power, more more swing.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah, I agree with you. I Even still, though I really want to hear that Dyer solo. <laughs> I was just going
3: to say, how did you not pick Dyer's? Because that's, that's your go-to Kirk solo of the last 39.8, 39.8 years.
1: Because I'm scared that he might <laughs> record store day that solo like helpless. Hey, man,
3: he did his homework. It just didn't work.
1: It just didn't work, exactly. <laughs> we
3: got to get to that with Adam.
1: <laughs> we will.
3: Without further ado, are you ready to meet and talk to, I think, my favorite documentary director of all time?
1: Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. I'm ready, man.
3: Here we go, New York City, Mister Adam Dubin. Uh, Thank you. It's 8 a.m. Adam, I just roll out of bed. I feel like Kirk when you filmed him filmed him in bed with the uh, hair with the spring effect going
1: on.
2: (laughs) 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 That time we burst into his hotel room. Yeah, (laughs) those early days. You think about like how how casual it all was. You know what I mean? And now now they're on. uh, on uh, Zoom meetings with Elton John, you know what I mean? It's pretty cool. Yeah, that,
1: yeah was that, some... that was amazing, seeing James getting choked up over that. I mean, I would too, obviously, if someone that legendary praised my music like that. That was incredible.
2: It really was. That that, that, that made my day. Uh, seeing that and, and knowing that, you know, uh, James gets to see and hear this stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm i enjoying this, this uh, as they should, take this kind of, it's like a kind of 30th anniversary of the album, uh, victory lap, and 40th anniversary, you know, acknowledgement of the band, victory lap. They should they should take that and enjoy it. You know what I mean? So many bands don't even get to do it. You know, I think it's amazing.
3: Does it feel like 30 years, do you, Adam, or does it feel like yesterday?
2: Um, I mean, it feels like a bunch of years, not 30 though. And and uh, but I'll tell you what brings me right back is I was just. Uh, last night and today like to review watching uh, some of those uh, extended sequences uh that we did for the uh you know uh, from year and a half in life metallica and then extending them for the box set and it feels really um i'll tell you it takes me right back to the place you know what i mean and and for me who was actually there it, it's like i can kind of smell the wood paneling of the of the rooms and everything sure um it's, you know it's recording studio type stuff and and uh and kind of there's like a a hum to the machinery and everything that um so it, it's kind of hard to believe that much time has, has intervened um but it, it's it's really great that the uh that I guess it's uh it's nice to be a part of something like that that's so well remembered and uh and has you know now with the hindsight of history and, and 30 years of history you kind of See the influence of it, and uh, I mean, I gotta say, I'm I, I play a very small part in this box set that was released, this reissue box set. But uh, I'm really proud of the band. I mean, the, the 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 things that they did. It's a beautiful box set. I mean, really, just if I was just even a fan, I'd be like, my God, it's gorgeous, you know?
3: Yeah, it's incredible. I I picked it up off my uh, front doorstep, and I'm like, this thing must be 15 pounds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's um, yeah, always bigger better for Metallica Um, but I think the most the thing that like kind of is really very cool is these um, the thing they organized with getting all these other bands to play uh, different songs from the album and uh, I haven't gotten through them all yet there's like 50 songs right (laughs) it's and it'll take a while but I mean there you go right there is the influence of of that album and that band on people and I think that probably shows it more than most things
1: absolutely. I think that with that blacklist, you know you get to see a wide variety you know, it's not just metal bands, you know, you have some of the, you know, hard rock metal covers, you've got, you know, Corey Taylor and Volbeat, of course, but then you've got guys like Jay Balvin, who who does it in a hip hop format and Kamasi Washington, who does it in like, you know, this jazz instrumental. I mean, it's just so cool to see the influence of a metal band, nonetheless, not just like it's Led Zeppelin classic rock. Like we're talking about a metal band here and they influenced so many people that it has spawned this incredible career that they've had.
2: That's a great example that you make, Jeff. It's like the, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like those, a band like Led Zeppelin, who's, uh, I I feel was an obvious comparison and in my world growing up, they were my Metallica. Cause I was like a teenager during, during, you know, that time a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel that like, you know, Led Zeppelin, Um, was, they basically, you know, disbanded for the obvious reasons um, before this all happened, that they were able, and so it was sort of just Jimmy Page, like, kind of putting together their box sets and everything, but nothing as elaborate as this because the band wasn't in existence anymore, you
1: know? Right, right.
2: And it's really cool that Metallica gets to navigate this now.
1: Absolutely, and let's face it, I mean, there's not many people, not only in the music business, but just in general, that, have the memory and the amount of material that someone like Lars Ulrich has you know what I mean obviously he saves every single thing how many bands can say they have you know a 40-year career but then also have set lists and handwritten notes from 35 40 years ago I mean it just doesn't happen
2: no uh Lars is is uh, definitely the archivist and number one fan of Metallica and he is uh and He's done an excellent job of of you know maintaining this stuff, and it really just shows if you if you save this stuff. I mean that's why like on tour they have and I'm sure you guys have seen that traveling museum that they that they take with them, which one day I hope it's will incredible. be a museum. Yeah. Did you Shane? You saw it, I think, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was part of their uh, hardwired their VIP kind of experience, even at the Orion Fest when they had that museum set up for the weekend. I mean, when you bring uh, Cliff's base out and the the Lions from the Injustice for All production set. Boy, you don't skip a beat when you have that stuff.
1: When the really old stuff comes out, like Hamster Caster and stuff that only true diehards yeah. are really, really going to know, I mean, that's that's when you know you've achieved a certain level of, I don't want to say stardom, but just, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I've got this guitar that I played in 1986 that maybe a small handful of people in the world will know. Let's bring it out and watch people just go fucking crazy for it. <laughs> All right.
2: And, and and it's great, and I think you know it does take on further meaning, uh, uh, you know. So having these these pieces of of their history really gives uh, a meaningful experience to the fans. I've walked through that hardwired, and uh, and I, I it's just fabulous. It's just a fantastic uh, thing that that they can you know set out for the world. They didn't have to wait for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to do a section on them. They do their right. section.
3: Adam, our show is usually about uh, fans, diehard fans coming on, and telling their Metallica story. What's the uh, what's the first memory that remains for you of Metallica growing up?
2: So, um, my memories of Metallica—I mean, I didn't know them really until I met them going into the studio. So I knew obviously their reputation, but I think it was because I was like in college when they kind of uh, showed up that I was. Um, Look, Metallica is that early, you know, the the 80s years of Metallica. That was a band for like that you listened to because you wanted to upset your parents. You know what I mean? It was parents' music. And I was kind of past that. I was already in college. So um, I was kind of, you know, I I listened to that, but I was listening to like a million things at that point, you know. And a lot of it, um, just because of where I was geographically, was hip hop because I was sitting there in New York with like the, the, the full-on rise of of hip-hop. And you guys know I was, you know, it was was like I was watching Run DMC and Beastie Boys climb, you know, and it it was a pretty amazing thing. So I was kind of in another place as this um, metal thing was happening. Um, So I knew, you know, I I knew of Metallica, I respected them, but I I just hadn't, you know, uh, met them yet. Um, Favorite story. I, I don't know about a favorite story Um, there's, there's some, there's some really cool ones, but I'm
1: sure there's a lot.
2: (laughs) Some not repeatable from the, you know, from the early days of touring and stuff, but, um, it's, there was, uh, there, there were favorite memories and I'm happy to say, uh, that this box set gave us a chance to revisit it. I mean, if you ask me now, it's not just because this thing is out now, but really, if you guys just caught up with me at any time and said, you know, some favorite memories of, of the band, I would probably say that, that Freddie Mercury uh, Remembrance Concert in England, uh, that was in 1992, and then Antarctica in, in 2013. I mean, those things just like sure. stand in my memory just as, as even life, you know what I mean? They compare with life memories, you know? That's wow. how amazing they are.
1: Yeah, Antarctica, that's a whole different beast. Exactly, I was going to say those are two – Absolutely incredible moments, completely different from each other, but both equally I think legendary. We've had two guests on that were there, Jeff. Yeah, that were at that show. Yeah.
2: Which ones, guys?
1: At the Antarctica.
2: Antarctica. Yeah, I mean, if I could say something about that for a minute. That's I sure. mean that's that's an incredible experience. And and again, you know, this incredible band who would go to try to pull off something like that. I mean, I think there's other bands that, that could if they if they wanted to, but um, does anybody think of like the Rolling Stones in Antarctica or U2 in Antarctica?
1: Right. Never. I mean,
2: right? You know, maybe U2,
1: but, but Rolling Stones, I don't know. They might be, yeah, might be a little old to be traveling that far. <laughs> I'm just
2: kidding. I love them, but yeah, it's, 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 they're, they're been at it. It doesn't seem to like Antarctica, it's, it's so beautiful and like, you know, otherworldly that it doesn't seem to take to the blues. Like, you don't think of an old blues band being down there. But you do think of a metal band being down there, like you know, like I mean, not, not that they do it, but if Iron Maiden did it, you'd be like, yeah, sure, you know. What I mean, right, Iron, right. You know, it's like that's great. Um, so I would, I, I think that was that was so distinct and and um, just to, to to have the the fortitude to put that together and and uh, you know, it just it, it was just an amazing thing. Um, but really, as I think about the Freddie Mercury thing, it it, it had a lot. There was a lot going on there that actually only in reflection do I do I really appreciate uh, seeing this, you know, and hearing and, and being a part of this. Um, you know, I knew we were going. I mean, I knew it was a big deal. But in hindsight, I realized what a big deal it really was, which was, and I think the Metallica podcast is going to deal with this uh, from the guy's point of view. But I, I even sensed it once we were there. Because if you're, if, not that you remember, but I mean, if you if you see it, Metallica was, in essence, bottom of the bill. They were starting the day that yes. day. So they were the first band out, out of the box doing three songs. Now, what that really was, was an acknowledgement to the world that Metallica was now ready to play the biggest stage in the world. Not just Wembley, but I'm talking with the biggest bands of the world. And so you have, you know, when you have people like David Bowie there and, and um, the Queen, Queen guys themselves and... Um, Elton John and, and, uh, Def Leppard, Def Leppard and guns. I mean, all that was going on, but Robert Plant, I remember was there. Um, I mean, it was really, you know, the gods of rock and Metallica now, you know, coming in, just making it to like the, the, the starting rung of that ascension. Um, that's what was happening there. Um, there's bands that, that were there that, that kind of, you know, let's say they, they, they got in. But they didn't hang on. So I remember the guy from like Extreme was there. Okay, we remember Extreme. We know what they did, who they were. But legendary band forever, not in the same category, right? right? So Metallica like kind of earned their place on that stage and then maintained their place for the next thirty years. And now we look back and we go, wow, you know, they 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 rightfully played at the Freddie Mercury concert and um, and really acquitted themselves i think and i think the footage that's there from that day really shows it it's just uh it was amazing to see uh them play three songs and they they were good man they were like informed by that point because they were on they were in the midst of touring the black album so they you know playing three songs there was like nothing for them um and then of course the great thing that we all love is seeing james come out and play with queen you know Tony Iommi you know for as a, you know. with
1: his danzig mike skills
2: yes. <laughs> It was interesting right when you take the guitar away from headfield he breaks his arm you know so you take a guitar away now he's got to like just front man it you know Yeah I wanted
1: I wanted to see him you know run around and throw his arms up and do some Axl rose but no I'm going to get there like danzig throw it up and just be heavy metal james
2: And so and interestingly also behind the scenes which we just showed a little bit in in the documentary because we really couldn't you know there was not really anything to show but these what was happening was the um, the negotiations were on for the guns Metallica I love that word which was that was so that was April of 1992 the tour was announced in May 92 and got away in July of 92 but the heavy negotiations were going on there and the um, and it was you know it was Look, obviously managers and people like that know this is like a huge money-winning situation. But now let's get down to the artist level. You've got these guys that are going to have to get along for two months of this tour. And um, not the easiest prospect at the time. And and in a way, you know what I mean? Like Metallica are like, yeah, we could do this. But, I mean, they could, they could have headlined stadiums that summer themselves. So, you know what I mean? It was like, eh, you know, do we want to tie our... You know, fate with these guys.
0: You know? Guns and Metallica. Piddly wants and wills and needs. Axel Pose. Dressing room requirements. One cup of cubed ham. Not fucking. You know, it's got to be cubed up, uh, fucking right, so get down his little neck. Uh, one ribeye steak dinner. Didn't even know the guy ate meat. You know, looked like a fucking vegetarian. One gourmet cheese tray, oh. pepperoni pizza, fresh. I think that you know it's fucking just for throwing around. I don't know anything. Man. Cans well, of assorted Pringles chips, you know, oh, greasy what shit. The hell are you talking Put about? His hair one back. One. All. Sue B. Honey can make some sick like this. Oh, a bottle of Dom Perignon. I'll eat
2: hey, that's where the
0: money's at, right there.
3: The days you were around, Adam. Do you remember how long those negotiations took?
2: I, I mean, I, there was a ton, there was so much going on that I I just caught like pieces of it, but. Sure. You know, what I what I caught with it was it was heavy going on because both both bands and management were all present at Wembley on that day. So and on those series of days as it as was a run up to it. So what I remember was that that just it was, um, you know, I mean, they had to negotiate all all this this stuff. Who the obviously who was going on first? Um, what, do they flip flop it or something? You know, I mean and is everybody going to be happy and at that moment you're dealing with i mean metallica was ascending and they're doing really well on their own but you you know you have guns and roses but you also have you also have axel and axel is is like there was a lot of like you know is this going to work i mean you know it, there was already kind of difficulties about him he's a, he's look he's a temperamental artist i think he's great but i mean uh, as I wrote in like one of the pieces I wrote, you could see Guns N' Roses and on any given night, they could be the greatest band in the world or their own worst enemy, yes. you know? And, and it just depended on what you got. And a lot of that, what you got depended on Axel. So um, not, to, not to slag him off or anything. It's like, you know, he, he's a tremendous frontman and singer, but I mean, he was going through a really difficult period at that time. And like, it was kind of like, does Metallica want to like lock in with that? Right. And, Anyway, cut to, you know, now we can look back on it. And, yeah, there was difficulties, which we all know what they were and, and could get into, you know.
3: To where Jeff James goes, someone wants a 50-foot I'm the singer kind of ego rampant somebody doesn't.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. You know, obviously it's four hours long, part one, part two how much wasn't included like is there a lot of footage from that time that didn't make it to the final cut or is what we see majority of what was shot
2: um it's it's by no means the majority it's definitely the minority of what was seen because i mean we we wound up with like uh i think somewhere you know between the album and the tour about 100 hours of stuff so let's say you know, it was, was, I mean, it was epic. It's, it's two years
1: Where's that footage?
2: (laughs) I would say what you're seeing is, is the best footage. So here was the thing we for a year and a half in life, we were given like, there was certain parameters at that time. It's funny to think about now in our, in our digital world, but the parameters were set by how much space could be, what, how much time could be fit onto a VHS tape. So I was, I was given a mandate in the beginning of 1992, edit this thing that we'd been shooting. And, by the way, keep shooting more as the tour was going on. Um, and we needed product out for Christmas of, of 92, which meant November 17th of 1992, which meant it had to be at, like, a pressing plant in Pennsylvania someplace in, like, I think it was September or, so, or October.
3: That's, much, that's not much time when you were on tour the summer of 92.
2: Right. I did not live. Through, there's that one photograph, the only one I have with the band. It's the only one of me with like a beard and everything like this. It's because I was living in an edit room. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I have no skin tone, wow. and it was like I'd live in an edit room. And the only time I was out of the edit room was when I went on tour with them, and then back into the edit room. So um, I actually wasn't at the. Our cameras were at the the um, the the unfortunate incident in Montreal where James got burned on the stage. Um, I couldn't even be spared to go out there. I was actually editing and I sent my my cameraman Vinny um, out and he got great footage uh, because I just couldn't, at that point we were like kind of, it was like, you know, heads down. I I didn't leave the edit room. So um, there's, I think the best footage was, you know, really in that initial year and a half, but I think we didn't explore everything as much. In other words, the first movie, uh, part one, is an hour and a half. So it's an hour and a half about the making of, black album so i couldn't devote that much time to each song which was why as i'll say as a filmmaker it's this great gift that metallica gave me to um be able to you know 30 years later go back into that footage and try to expand on these stories and so if anybody sees the the new um, footage that we put into the uh the, the reissue set um I think what you'll see is like we had time to go into a number of the songs much more completely. So um I, I reviewed this like last night. I remember I turned in my work two and a half years ago. So it's it's like they were this box set's been kind of wow. taking a long time to make, that's no surprise. And, and and I think COVID kind of just kind of, you know, iced it for a while and so now we're here. But I mean, we did like a whole segment on Sad But True, an entire segment on uh, The Making of Enter Salmon, another entire movie segment. And these are like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes long on right. each of these, each song. And I didn't have that time for in, in the whole documentary that's 90 minutes. I had to like kind of cover everything. So um, a song that didn't get much play but that I filmed was Don't Tread On Me. Um, you know, not one of the singles from the album, not a song that even got a, a music video, but... Um, I think it's interesting to see how the band works on, let's say one of the not as famous songs on the record, you know, and, and does that. So um, ultimately, uh, you know, got more on unforgiven. And uh, so ultimately we cut like eight segments uh, for, for that box set reissue. And it was great. I'll talk about one of them, which kind of references back to the, um, to the Freddie Mercury concert again. Now imagine it, there was apparently some kind of big battle to get us even there to be able to film because nobody had their own film crew there that it was being filmed by you know the people that were filming the concert and everything and it was documentary but but we were like you know kind of it's like oh yeah Metallica has a, has a Metallica has what no, no. and
1: so <laughs> get that guy out of here
2: yeah well yeah we felt that a lot you know what i mean like we were we were following them. and I was They're
1: like, like, oh, that metal band? Oh, right. what's going on here? The opener?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see, Shane, you got it. It's like the opener's got their own film crew. Oh, thanks. You know what I mean? The extreme bringing <laughs> film crew, too. You know I mean? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Like, um, so we were, yeah, we were very conscious of who we were th- there. And um, so we're filming, and... We were, you know, allowed to just go out and film in the photographer's pit just when Metallica was on stage. And in, I had forgotten about this footage. I mean, I knew we did it, but I knew we pulled a few things from it. When I reviewed it a couple of years ago, I thought it was pretty amazing because uh, there we were in the photographer's pit struggling with the world's photographers next to us. The world press was there, not just rock press, but world press is next to us because it's a it's an you know, a news event for the world. Sure. And we're we're filming and you know, cutting in front of us all the time is the uh is the the camera for the television, you know, going back and forth on a dolly. And then we're struggling to get shots of of our guys either, you know, James or Kirk's over here or you know, uh Jason on that side and then you fight to get a shot of Lars Thank God he stands up half the time when he's drumming. (laughs) you get a shot of him over the kit. And uh, and that's it. We had one camera to do this with, one film camera. I thought it was so kind of – it looked so beautiful in film compared to the video. I just, again, again, thankful to Metallica for springing for 16-millimeter film. Film, guys, film.
3: Actual physical film. Yeah. A thing of the past
2: same thing that they shot with uh with with Woodstock you know what I mean right, but right. It looks beautiful because of that and and I thought it was so nice that I just said I feel like putting this whole thing in the entire camera roll like and, and like I think it's 24 minutes we just let it run so sometimes the shot is blocked by other camera people and whatever what's going on well, we you know we're focusing and we don't have the shot yet and then it focuses up on 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 Kirk let's say doing a solo it's
3: beautiful I watched it on Saturday Adam and the like you said, just keep the whole thing in there, and all us diehards love that stuff.
2: Was it the right thing? Yeah. Yes, right? it was.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I so I take this stuff and I, I cut it and I and I just put it in and then I submit it, and it goes. You know, like anything, goes into management. And I know um, if no one else, Lars reviews everything, and and so I just put it in. But I, you know, I write notes and everything. I said, I I basically make my case. I'm like, I think this is beautiful. I think. There's no cutting involved here. Let let the fans have this footage and let them see how it was that day from our perspective. And I'm so glad that that they were like, yep, you know, green light, go and and put it out there. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah, it, so, again, I tried to put out, like, what I, what I thought was, like, the best of the best, you know?
3: You did well, man, from all those diehards. Thank you so much. It's very special to see that 30 Thank years you. later and... I think uh, I can speak on behalf of Jeff that him and I have have watched your documentary at least two to three hundred times <laughs> as uh, kids, as high schoolers, as playing in garage bands in our 20s, and our 30s. I just turned 40. I travel a lot for a living, Adam. There's not... <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we tour around the world with our band, literally around the world, <laughs> and there's not a moment when we're on the road that at least one time... There's quotes from year and a half that multiple times, and, multiple times. Yeah. yeah, Like I said, minimum at least once per per show or day, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, when we're out on the road, it's all the time.
2: It's really like you know how all people like like us who worked it or or toured or whatever. Everybody who saw Spinal Tap knew, wow, they got it right. You know, mm. what I mean? they got some of it right, and that's why they're quoted all the time and i felt that when we did year and a half in life particularly the touring section but really anything i was like wow we did a real life version of what spinal tap is it's
1: literally exactly right? yeah
2: and and then so when you're talking about like uh, backstage at at the freddie mercury uh concert while the bands might have been worried about and the managers were worried about getting the guns metallica tour on on the road if it was going to happen i was worried about one other thing which was at the next dressing room over was Spinal Tap. And I was like, I had one <laughs> mission at that point, which was, I have to make this happen.
1: And get them in a room together.
3: That was all you, correct? It
2: was, it, it was me. Oh, no, I must I must give great credit to um, Jack Gulick, my producer, then and now. Still my producer. Um, and he knew... It, it took the two of us. I had to cajole the Metallica guys, which didn't take too much cajoling at that point. Um, and he... <laughs> fortuitously, insanely knew the manager of, of Spinal Tap. So what I didn't want to happen was them to like meet in the hallway and then whatever was going to go down, I wouldn't have control. I wouldn't be able to film. I might not even be there. I wanted to like control it. So it was like worked out. Okay. We'll go into their dressing room. Uh, remember those guys, I mean, they're, 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 great comedian actors, but they're, when they're sitting around, they don't all have the wigs on and stuff like that. They're kind of, they were just kind of being comedians, just hanging out and waiting for their time luckily it was put to them they were up for it but you know they have to get prepared so the wigs come on the whole the whole thing it was again if I remember a favorite favorite is one of my favorite things I ever shot and here's what it was we walk in I I go inside who am I going to get from Metallica well Jason's always off doing his own thing he was he was kind of doing his thing Lars was busy actually working on this kind of stuff getting you know the guns Metallica thing going so he was like "Eh, you know don't have time for this he's he's like (laughs) It's, it's like trying to get a manager to do something. I mean, it's like, he's just big, you know, a businessman, but Lars, but James and, and, and Kirk were like in a good mood and up for anything and whatever. And I was like, will you come next door with me? And they were like, yeah. So then we work it out. We go in there. I thought I was going to have to pose questions to the, to the, I thought I was going to have to like, I didn't have to do anything. I remember I clapped sticks. <laughs> the cameras go on. These guys are veteran comedians. They literally took it from there. And that's the first time I saw veteran... I've worked with comedians since, but that was the first time I saw veteran comedians. It was like a jump ball. It was like, like the Harlem Globetrotters, you know what I mean? Them just like taking Very that cool. thing. Like, you know, whose idea was it for Black Album? And sure. then the other guy throws it to the other guy. And that guy...
3: Metallica like, representatives.
2: Yes, exactly. And, and it's just so much fun to watch them work. Really, it was great because Kirk and James had nothing to do but just just to hang out and laugh and be good sports which they were
0: wait a minute you're not metallica i'm not dressed yet what have you done with our heroes never mind i'm not that interested anymore a bone to pick with these, uh, you know. It's called Black Album. It's called Black Album. Now, where did the idea come from to do an all-black album, Metallica representatives? (coughs) To me, it's sort of a, it's a, uh, sort of an underhanded left-wing tribute. It's it's an homage dressed up as a... Or a homage. As a woman. Or a homage, yeah. Dressed up as a woman, yeah. Yeah. It was was meant
1: as a homage.
0: Well, I'll tell you something. If it had been a really piss-poor album, then we would have gotten right ticked off, you know. Because they (laughs) would have... It was a decent album, didn't sell badly, so we figured, yeah, yeah, we, we took it as a tribute. No, it's got a grey snake, it's got the name of the band on it, too. I mean, well, I so you can't miss. If we had done that, we might have sold more copies. Well, we can't <laughs> we do well, we <laughs> <If> <laughs> snakes, well, it And it the, the name Metallica might have yeah. 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 Well, so, if we <laughs> could <laughs> put the name Metallica on our albums, we'd have no copies. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, sorry for <laughs> mispronouncing <Prudential laughs> on the MTV Awards, but I was just so flustered. <laughs> English was not his mother tongue. No, my mother's tongue. Yeah, let's not talk about <laughs> mind.
3: Yeah. It's amazing how much we've talked about Freddie Mercury, how important that day was. And I mean, look at the work you did back in 92. We're talking about it 30 years later in iconic day, in my opinion, in their career. And you decided to put a majority of that on part two and wow, what a home run.
2: Yeah. Again, it, it stands out. So we had a limited time to uh, cut this footage together um, just because I think they, they felt that the box set might come out sooner and then, you know, who can predict COVID and everything. But it's like, um, I was given like, they were like, what do you want to work with? What do you think? And I, and I really felt that I could get more material out of the, the making of the record. And I felt that's what people would probably want to see. I could probably do a whole nother one with all the tour footage, but I, I feel the best of the tour footage is out there. So I, I concentrated on the one thing. But I will say this, to your point, um, Shane and Jeff, about the the importance of it. In in the years since, uh, well, I've had many people quote things to me and, and say that, what I think is really cool, and I've had a lot of people say this, is that um, it showed people how to make a record or how a record's made. And uh, tons, I mean, over the years, um, you know, studio people, people work, behind the scenes at all levels, say, wow, I, I learned how that thing was put together watching how the black album went. I mean, nobody else does that. And and I always felt about that that if I could show process, I mean even then I felt like like, well, I've already got the Metallica fans, but if I kind of show how this thing is made, I could probably get some people who are, even if they're not fans of this music, are fans of seeing how the thing works and how, how it goes together. It's kind of like those car shows where you don't have to be a guy who fixes a car, right? But it's like kind of cool to see how they like restore an old, you know, vintage automobile. It's that kind of thing. And so I, I, I feel like year and a half in life, certainly part one has had a great influence on, um, on people who work behind the scenes in the recording business. And that's, that's a really nice thing. And again, Thanks to Metallica for, you know, letting me in there with my camera. And it it seems
1: like it really spawned a lot of artists uh, doing those, you know, studio footage, you know, making little documentaries or movies, you know, based on, you know, the recording or the making of their record. And it almost seems like it helped Metallica years down the road, because even when they're doing some kind of monster now, obviously they're going through personal battles, but nonetheless, It's in kind of a weird way. It it is the making of Saint Anger. You know what I mean? Granted, there's a bigger backstory to it, but it you know it has that kind of feel. They're in the studio. They're putting a record together. They're writing it, and it. I feel like year and a half really is what started it all for so many bands.
2: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right, Jeff. It's it's uh, that. I'll tell you this: when when I kind of got the assignment and I knew I had the assignment. I said, all right, let me look back and see who else has done this kind of thing. And it was really, this is how far back I had to go. So this is like 1990 when I, when I in the fall of 1990 when I actually was told, okay, you're doing this and I start filming, and at that time they were just doing drum sounds um, in the studio. Uh, and I said, what can I look back at? And the only thing I found, I had to get a bootleg of the Let It Be movie that the Beatles made, mm-hmm. which thank God now Peter Jackson's taking that footage and he's gonna, you know, probably, you know, let us see more of, I'm sure, it's great. You have 35 millimeter footage of the Beatles. Yeah, making that's, here, my God. that's we legendary. You <laughs> need to see it. And uh, But I look back at that and that was the only thing that really existed of a band in the studio do like like functionally doing something, you know what right. I mean? And it's kind of overshadowed by the fact that it was presented as like the breakup of the Beatles and there's some, some battles. Um, I think Peter Jackson's like kind of refocusing it on that they actually managed to get the way they got this done. But um, there wasn't much to look at. And so um, and and I think one of the other great things was since we were shooting film, and I always remind people this, that a a film load was 11 minutes long. So you had to be really judicious about what you were going to film. You couldn't just let it run. If we were in the age of video as we are now, you could I mean, you could just stick a GoPro on something, let it run. Right. And just let it go. Then choose later. Um, I was much more uh, careful about what I was what I was filming and when I was filming. And then of course that there's that uh, we decided to put together a segment uh, called Enter Cameraman, where um, basically all the times that they either threw things at us or cursed us out or, or told us to you know get lost or whatever, uh, that seemed to happen quite a bit. And we were able to put more of it. Then we were able to put so much together that it made its own segment.
3: Adam, we've got some uh, fan-submitted questions, and uh, if we could jump to that, that kind of segues off of just what you just said. Okay. Uh, Mr. Mike Cantner from Phoenix says, how many times did you think something cool was about to happen, and he just ended up flipping you the middle finger?
2: How many times? More times than I than I could mention. <laughs> <laughs> or even remember. A lot of times, that, that's kind of the effect, is that you turn on the camera, and you, you've now had an influence on the effect, on the scene that's happening in front of you. So I feel like, look, I tried as much as possible to be the fly-on-the-wall director and, mm. and just, you know, film stuff as it was happening, but everybody's aware that there's a camera going, and so I think, you know, sometimes I got something really real, and, and sometimes I got uh, flipped off or something thrown at me.
0: I hate that fucking camera, man.
2: I hate that camera. Um... But at a certain point, what's really cool about just being there was that at a certain point, they just don't care anymore. I mean, I, as, as I've said, they, I knew they adopted me uh, and I was okay to stay when they started abusing me. Once I once I got abused, so I was like, oh, I'm part of the gang. You know Welcome I mean? to
3: the family. We're
1: going to haze the hell out of you. Yeah, they're <laughs> treating me like Jason. All right, I must be one of the guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and so it's uh, it's basically that, and uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's that footage of like, I one time, I said, "Oh, James is writing his lyrics. He's sitting at the ping pong table writing his lyrics." I was like, "How cool!" You know, you catch like, you know, this actually while it's happening. You know, so I tried to film over his shoulder, and I don't know why he's got a big carving knife there. You know, from the from the studio <laughs> kitchen, but he did, and, and a, he, you know,
3: and a taser.
2: Yeah, ta- and a taser was another time, and he almost tasered me with it, and. um <laughs> Oh my God! It was like, yeah, I was, I was, you know, abused all the time, and it was like, but you, you know, again, you're being judged by that. How, how you roll with that, you know?
3: Right when you said you had 11 minutes and you and you captured magic moments, I'd say one of them was the actual Unforgiven solo. That that's actually the take that was used, and you got it.
2: I'm not so sure if it's the take. I've listened to it again. I think it's 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 a very close take. Um, the one that I think I got though was, which is amazing, was. Uh, A good deal of the actual audio take of James, the vocal take of James singing Nothing Else Matters, because when I made that video, you know, you lay this stuff in and you don't know if it's going to hold. Remember, I'm laying it in versus there's the recorded track and then I kind of take my thing and I lay it in. If you notice the whole um, kind of it's the culmination of the. uh, uh, it's right after the solo, we laid it in. And I didn't know how often what would happen was you lay something in, it holds for a little while and then it drifts because it's not the actual one and, uh, you know, whatever, something, the sync starts to become off. We laid that in, that was the, the take. So I was, I was filming a good deal of, of things that were actual takes. The Kirk take on on um, Unforgiven what I think is amazing is I think we got a few, and I, and I put them into this this new kind of longer Unforgiven clip where you get some really blazing solos that are just slightly off. And that's why we wanted to give those to the fans, because in a way you could just, you hear his process. And uh, and so I know, obviously, there's that famous bit of, of, you know, Bob Rock and him, you're not doing your homework. Right. And, <laughs> You know, it's it's great because it, it it shows some tension in the studio and the eruption of of, of that. But I think it gets at a at a finer point, which which I'm sure you guys will recognize, um, having you know being musicians yourselves. And I mean, how many times do this is a larger thing for even artists. But let's stick to like recording and and, and playing musicians. How many times do you? have an idea in mind that you 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 thought that you know this is the right thing and then executing your your mind knows it your fingers don't follow you know what I, mean? I, I know
1: i know exactly how that goes i've i was working with a producer one time and i'm putting down the solo and i'm like yep this is it this sounds perfect i got it and i get done putting down the solo and he looks at me and he goes what the fuck was that he's <laughs> like that was the worst thing i've ever heard i'm like are you serious i'm like i actually like formatted it put it together this and that He's like, drop all that, just play what's on the top of your head and play what fits the song. And I ran through it a couple of times and like third take, completely different from what I originally had. He goes, that's it right there. He goes, let's keep it. And it's the same thing. Cause like, sometimes you just, you need that push. You need that drive. And even though you feel like you have it together, there's always going to be someone else that hears it different or better than what you're hearing. it. You know what I mean? And once you get so attached to something that, you know, you're working on it, it's like sometimes you need those fresh ears to really, you know, liven up the sound a little bit.
2: So, so here's something I'll give you. It's that it's, that's a, that's a perfect point. And when it came to, you know, at the, I, I I remember this distinctly because I was, I was kind of concerned. I put that, that whole section in about, you know, Kirk trying to get that solo right, and that's why I put in after it the, the one he actually plays. It's very close to the final solo. And who knows? I mean, they may have, there may be some parts in there, Shane, that that where he, they clip together two different things. I can't say that it was necessarily one whole solo. I don't know. I don't want to say that it wasn't either, but it's, you know, they they do clip together certain things. But I can say this: it, when when the tapes were being reviewed bef- before the. The final thing when I submitted, like here's here's a year and a half of the life of Metallica, and I sent VHSs out onto the road. um, Kirk naturally was kind of sensitive to that at that point. I think he felt like it may not, you know, whatever. It may look to people like he didn't do his homework, right? And and I will. There was some talk of taking it out, and I'll forever be grateful that he was brave enough to to leave that in. Show himself vulnerable, and we now have that forever. You know what I mean. But I think I've always said this, and, and the 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 real true um, mark of 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 everything there is that solo on Unforgiven, which is the recorded solo, which I I just think is number one, one of the best solos Kirk has ever played. Yes. Not just because of it, just because it the way it locks in, the way. He's hearing the rising of the the rhythm track, you know, the build on that thing. I think it's as epic a solo as, you know, I'll put it up to something Jimmy Page has done, if you want to say, you know, the the Stairway to Heaven solo, something that locks in so perfectly with with the the music under it and builds that I I just think it's one of the great solos in, in, you know, in rock. And I, I would say that's more of a hard rock solo than it is a thrash metal solo
3: absolutely I agree with you 100% and I believe you 100% that that wasn't the take but according to Jason Newstead he says that was the one
2: Um, I I don't know you know maybe it's maybe it's pieces of it Interesting. I guess I don't really compare it and I never never did that
0: Bob picks at him you know come on great you know guitar player of the year and all this stuff Frank right? I can do it I can do it right and then he gets to him right to that point where Kirk's damn it and he shreds it, and that's the take that he used on the record.
2: But the the one I remember that I did catch, him blazing away there in the studio, I just was like, you know, you can't see me, but my jaw's dropping as I'm filming. You know what I mean? It was it was a really amazing take that he laid down. And, again, all kudos to Kirk for, number one, playing it, and the other thing for being brave enough to to show himself in a vulnerable moment like that. It'd be real easy for stars making a documentary like that to, like, you know clean it up take the war to cut them off you know make
1: them look perfect make them look like the gods that they are and you know not show that hey they're human beings just like the rest of us this
3: isn't some kind of monster
1: (laughs) exactly like sometimes you gotta you know you gotta actually put in a little bit of work even the pros exactly
2: so showing yourself uh tripping and falling sometimes makes you more human i mean there's that lars was trying to get that that thing right with the with the snare and and then he just got frustrated and stabbed
1: yeah puts the stick through the head
2: and i've had so many people over the years you know particularly drummers say wow i've done that there just wasn't a camera there you know what i mean but that was me on that day you know what i mean and and yeah when you're trying to do something that's that's not easy again lars could have simplified it just play something easy you know doom, doom 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 back and forth that's not what he's trying to do, right. you know?
1: He's trying to make it sound like him, you know? Even though the record sounds not quite like their last record, they want to still make sure that they capture their essence of what they do, even in a mainstream metal record.
2: Exactly. But I, th- I think, you know, especially in Lars's case, because he's so um, so musically versatile that I think what, you know, look, he's probably hearing in his head something that's, that has that complex stuff. You know, now go do it, okay? Now go do what what Neil Pert does, and I don't know if if Neil Pert ever stuck his you know <laughs> stick on <his> <laughs> that. I mean, that's the thing about great players—they make it look easy. They make it look like, oh man, you know, he's just like knocking that off. But it's like there's frustration there, and that's that's really, and we all know it. You could read about it, but they make it look look easy, you know.
3: Another fan question, Adam. This one comes from uh, another Adam, Mr. Adam D'Souza in Boston. As it's been 30 years, is there something you would have done differently during the actual filming or something you wished you got more footage of at the time?
2: Let's see. I I don't know if I would have done anything differently. I think I was, I was fortunate to get to shoot film and deal with all the difficulties that, that that had. We could have shot video, but it would have been a, what? today would be like a primitive form of video like it would have been just this Betamax kind of thing Um, so I I think we we got pretty much what we were going for I probably would have maybe wanted to go film more on tour and stuff and get more of the tour the the limitation on that was one editing the film and trying to make a, a you know a release date and two it was just really expensive to have uh film crew out on on the tour so we were we you know we limited the times that we went on tour so what we do we went on tour during the original the the black uh the black album tour Then we did freddie mercury and we did a bunch of time on the guns metallica tour and that was really it then we were back in the studio finishing up and boom there's your year 1992 so i think i would have like to have gotten more because that tour went on so long that I think there was probably more there.
3: How many shows did you see total
2: 91, 92? Uh, pieces of shows, you know, I saw okay. I saw a lot, you know what I mean? But half the time you, you're working. I, I never counted my Metallica shows because and I always think it's unfair. There's fans that I see at shows that are like at show 100 or something. And I go, those right. those are the true fans that, that have sweated and, and worked to get money for those tickets so some
3: shows you check out four or five songs and and bolt.
2: Yeah, and then have to go do something. Sure, but let me tell you, I'm I'm as happy as anyone when they come to town and I can go see them. I'm a, I, I get to be a fan that day. You know what I mean? And it's 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 wonderful to just just see the show, you know, and not be working. So, um, yeah, it's it, you know it's, it's it's that's certainly one of the perks. But you, you know, a lot of the, when you're working, you're just trying to you want to do your your piece. And and let me just say that crew, the Metallica crew, is just one of the greatest crews there is. I mean, you know, veterans and great. And if you feel that you're part of that crew, you don't want to let anybody down. And I'm not just talking about the band members. I'm sure. talking about the crew.
3: Sure. We hear uh, that
1: a lot.
2: So you want to like bring your best because they're bringing their best.
1: You're talking about, you know, filming and all of this stuff and that, you know, it's expensive to have, you know, the film crew out and this and that. And I understand if you can't necessarily answer this question, but I'm kind of curious throughout from start to finish, what did something like that cost Metallica, you know, to have a film crew out for that long, but then also all the editing. And how does it compare to today? Cause obviously we know with inflation and how things are now things cost more now, but you also don't have like, you know, the cutting and splicing of film and all of that. You can do things digitally. How, how does that compare kind of?
2: Here's something. I, th- I think that the, um, I think probably a year and a half in the life, all in, must have been, I, I, I can't try to remember these these, these days, but because I really wasn't involved so much in the money side of it. Sure. But shooting film and doing all that, I mean, it, it had to be a million-dollar movie or something like that. I mean, it was it was just so expensive to shoot the film process, to film, transfer it to video, and then later edit it and, and, and do all the work on it and all the time in the edit room. Um, it could have been more. It could, I don't know if it was $2 million, but, I mean, it was a lot of money.
1: Sure. And think about that, 1990, you know, through ninety ninety three, ninety two. 92, you know. I mean, that's – and, you know, Metallica obviously was big at that time, but they weren't superstars yet. You know, they – you know, so, I mean, that's that's incredible to be able to be able to do something like that at right. that point in their career.
2: I, I always pushed to get, like, the best, you know – Best footage and the most, so t- so kind of towards that that question earlier. It's like, whatever it was, I always pushed to try to get more footage. You always feel like you're 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 missing something, trying to get a little more and everything. Um, so there was times when we got in trouble. I mean, I'm thinking about this one time in Cincinnati. You guys who know the film so well might remember it's from the touring. Cincinnati,
3: part. squish them all. <laughs>
2: yeah, squish them all. So we go with Kirk. It, I believe it's in there. We get into a van with Kirk cameras rolling. Right. And we travel with him now, right then I was trying to find what's the storyline. I'm always looking, what's the storyline going on here. It's not just filming guys doing stuff. The storyline at that moment, hard to believe now with the insane success of nothing else matters. I mean, this thing just hit with 1 billion views that Lars posted up yeah, and I'm a couple like, weeks ago. Right. I'm blown away. I mean, that's like, that's like something I helped work on. I mean, that's like amazing. Um, so, it it was like at that point they weren't playing it live yet, you know. But when the when the when the video went out there, and suddenly it was like you know number one on MTV, they had to play that song live. So we're in Cincinnati, and that was like a, any city along the way. It was like, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? And it had to do with um, Kirk had to learn all those fills and and the and he doesn't do the solo, of course, in that. But there was you know they had a work now it's called, it's kind of funny and think about where that is that in the late winter of of um 1992 metallica's still like well we're not sure if we can play nothing else matters live you know <laughs> and, and now look at it today right i mean now it's like a staple right they can't get out of the stadium oh, without doing crazy. one of their uh, stairway to heaven numbers you have to do it you know what i mean you've to do that you have to do sandman because that's what people want, you know. And
3: we will play the song if James gets his double neck guitar via FedEx and if if Kirk learns the solo.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> And so I I thought it was important that they, if they were going to practice it, right? So I follow Kirk, right? We go on the van. We go out of the van. Now, I was told really strongly, you can't film in the arena at Cincinnati because it was a union house. And if you film in the house, you have to pay the union scale as if it was a film shoot. doesn't matter if you have one camera or 50 cameras covering a show. Sure. I did a bad thing that day as a filmmaker. I broke the rules. I didn't listen, and I was, I was, man, was I ripped into for that. Um, I paid the price to get that footage, <laughs> but I just was carried away. My filmmaking skills caught the better of me, and I just and I didn't listen, and that was a mistake. And uh, I'm sorry for it, but I I will say I, let's let's look at what history has now. It paid I off, him Adam. Out of the van, right? He goes up onto the stage. They give him a guitar. He plays. He plays. The song they're rehearsing it, it comes off of there. The part that was not filmed was the filmmaker catching a huge beating from the from the uh, the, the <laughs> tour manager and the production manager about how the hell did you go on that stage? And, and they were catching hell now from from the production, sure, from the from the arena who wanted now to get paid a lot of money. We're talking like <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars, not like chunk.
3: Adam, get your credit card out.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. more like it's going to come out of your production budget, which I knew, whatever. Whatever would happen, it's going to go back to management, and I'm going to have a really angry Peter Mention and, and Cliff Bernstein yelling at me. So, but one other thing happened while that was happening. So while I'm filming on the stage, and while that's all happening, some idiot opened doors early, and fans started coming in. The the early door people started coming in, wow. and while I'm t- that's not good (laughs) they're in the upper decks and you start hearing "Ah, whoa because they're coming into the arena and they're like metallica's like sound checking something they're getting like an extra show so they start howling and trying to come down and everything and metallica's kind of annoyed so they thank god that happened thank god somebody opened those doors because that became the push the battle between production metallica production and the arena so they said fine We'll forget about, you know, we'll forget about, you know, the guy on the stage with the camera, but, you know, you guys opened doors on us, you know, so it became a wash. I was scolded very strongly. You have to stay in in the uh, in the dressing room and no place else. And if, you, if we see you out one more time, we're taking the camera and you're done. Okay, fine. So I did that. So that's where you get that, you know, squish them all and all the joking around. In the meantime, what did that, what that mean? I get to put my, my film stuff down, and I got to watch the Metallica show in Cincinnati. Oh, that's <laughs> so, nice. On the snake bit. So, not too shabby, you know? Saved by good. the
3: bell by the doorman who opened early.
1: <laughs> that's a great story. Wow, that's that is cool. a great story. I never knew that.
2: I don't know if I... I don't think I ever told it, so that, that's cool, man. That, that was the real deal.
1: Hey, there's a first on in podcast
3: for All. Adam, a little comedy, a little X-rated question from the UK. Marcus Mirzma asks, how many times... <laughs> Did you see Lars's, what he calls his angry inch?
2: Um, <laughs> <L-lar-> yeah. <laughs> In the documentary, um, Lars is no, you know, he's very European that way. He has no embarrassment about about getting, getting naked. And uh, Lars uh, likes to, I'm not going to talk about inches, but I'm going to talk about just that <laughs> Lars... Lars, uh, so I won't confirm or deny, and I never filmed, but uh, but I will say that Lars, Lars uh, you know, will change right in front of you and has no problem about it. And uh, I guess you guys have seen Murder in the Front Row, the documentary I did. But, yeah, it's incredible. Um, oh, yeah. And in that, it's just funny that I did not ask Kirk, but Kirk just sort of volunteered that the very first time he met Lars, Lars starts changing in front of him. Yep. And he's like kind of... I mean, it's funny that he was embarrassed then, but he seemed like he was embarrassed forty years later too. So it was like we kind of—I left it in the movie. It was so genuine. So um, I think I think Lars has no problem with nudity. Hey, maybe he's uh, more advanced than us, and and uh, there you go. no problem.
3: No yeah. shame, especially when you're in uh, one-on-one, and he goes zestfully clean.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, I remember that. So he didn't—he didn't care. Yeah, we wanted to like bust his chops a little. Again, that's what we would try to do. Is like. You know, as filmmakers, kind of pushed people a little bit. I mean, I think. Look, I love Bob Rock, and, and I got to say, he was the best. He was a great producer and the best sport around for putting up with us. Incredible. On top of everything, because he, he was the adult in the room, as you could tell. I mean, they, they, it was it was like a gang of children. <laughs> we egged it on. I borrowed Bob's the
1: babysitter.
2: <laughs> I, I, I borrowed those records. I I was at the time. I was a uh, pretty uh thick in with all the bands that, on American Recordings, Rick Rubin's label. And one of them was the Four Horsemen, a great band. And the drummer of the Four Horsemen was uh, Dimwit, who had been in DOA, who Bob had produced, you know, and knew from Vancouver sure. and everything. So when I would go over to the house, Dimwit would bust out his record collection. And he had all the records of, of Bob Rock when Bob Rock was a performer. And he never really had any notoriety in, in America, but he did, or in, in, I should say United States, but in Canada, he was like something of a known commodity rock star before he was like a known commodity, like producer, uh, uh of records. So there's these eighties albums and let's, let's face it. Not all of us can survive our eighties look, you know, <laughs> Bob
1: used to be a woman.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and back when so he had one I- chin, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I brought those to the studio one day, but those came out very strategically. I again, I have to make sure this stuff's on camera. I can't just like bust that out. So sure. I waited till they all—they didn't know it was going to happen. I waited till they, everybody kind of you know, rolled into the lounge room probably for for lunch or something like that, or dinner, and suddenly out from this bag came these records I'd borrowed, and I knew <laughs> all I had to do was leave them. I think we left them on the on the pool table. Part the thing fact I slayed up get it rolling just wait for someone to walk by let it go yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, boy did they rise to the occasion they ripped into him and i and i you know i felt bad for bob a little bit but you know it was like that was kind of what was going on i was like you know someday you get tased, and some days your old records come out with old pictures of you uh,
0: well let's make this guy the front man and, and i'm sure all the chicks will go fucking gaga after they see him uh, <laughs> consequently it didn't work either bob used to be a woman. <laughs> Tough guy <laughs> nice hair color looked like 10 years ago Notice only one chin
1: <laughs> I mean Bob had worked with motley Crue, so I mean he he's he's dealt with some some crazy people I just wish all these years later that there would have been a second camera crew there to get all of your guys' facial reactions to oh, everything God. that was happening around because I can only imagine what you and your crew were thinking some of the stuff that you saw it was I'm sure it was yeah. pretty priceless it,
2: it, it was pretty it was pretty crazy and you know I mean yeah I, occasionally you got all reaction they sometimes took the camera away from us and, and like, you, know, <laughs> you know took it and they, you know filmed us um, but yeah it was it was a pretty crazy thing. I remember there was one time Lars was was kind of excited there was gonna to be an event and uh it was right around the time Madonna Came out with a very provocative video. I can't remember. It's in the in the movie, but you know, because I think Lon Friend came by and showed the unedited version of it. Yeah, it was. um, Yeah, Lars wanted to go because it was going to be this event that that he could go to, and like Madonna had her camera crew following her everywhere for the movie that eventually became Truth or Dare, uh, which Propaganda Films was also doing, which I also worked for them. And they, um, and so anyway, it was just like Lars was like. I'm going to take my film crew and go there, and then we'll have battling film crews. You know, yeah. he, was like, he was totally up for that. I like that. Like really intrigued him. That was a good oh, impression. Yeah. That was great. Just not listen to them all the time, but uh, it was really, it was really fun. Uh, being around with those guys, so yeah, a lot. Of, you got to be able to roll with the humor, and I'll say that was a, Bob was a good sport on that day. Also, he took his abuse; I took my abuse, and you know, you, you get to roll with it. You know,
1: did everything just continue off where it left off when you met up with them? You know, decades later.
2: No, not well. I always feel comfortable around them with can with a camera when that right. happens. You know, um, the last time that happened was when they went out on that. What you mentioned was the, the making of uh, the movie that became Through the Never. Um, but even later than that, we when they were touring uh, hardwired in, in stadiums, uh, and uh, they just wanted like some extra cameras filming the fan experience of that. They have cameras pointed at the stage, like a million of them, but they wanted to get some fan reactions to that in 2017. And so I you know, went on the road a few days. It feels comfortable, but I have to say, you know, every... Everything has moved on and grown. I mean, that's that's what's beautiful about year and a half in the life of Metallica is that it captured that moment when that was that was rising, you know. And I mean, I didn't film some kind of monster, but that captures them at that moment. And I filmed some other things, whether it's Antarctica, or whatever. And it, it just is, um, you know. You capture them when you do, but it's it's become a different a different animal, you know, as, as as that that touring thing moves on, as it has to. I mean, they they're comfortable around me, but there's I mean that whole like the, the they're they're funny, I mean they're funny guys, so that's that's a great thing, but the the hazing thing and all that that's not that's not as much there anymore, and people are as much liable to have kids around as anything else you know right, right, yeah,
3: we grow up when we get in our mid fifties right
2: yeah exactly, but they it's better late than never, yeah, but you know what's what's so amazing guys is that like is is seeing you know and and I feel blessed to be a part of it to see what this has has spawned and to see the 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 fandom i know the metallica guys are touched by it it's like to see various generations of it you know at at the shows and and also people like yourselves who grew up on on this being like their you know uh legendary album and now you guys are there and you guys talk to them too you know when you meet up with them and they're. They're moved by it, and I'm sometimes interviewing guys like you, and I'm moved by it. It's 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 a really amazing thing to have, to to see and feel the influence like that.
3: It's incredible how it's come full full circle. Adam, a year and a half for me was the the first documentary as a kid, and the first uh, videos I bought of Metallica's. And after watching that, it was we're going to the store now. We're getting Cliff Amal. We're getting Binge and Purge. It's 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 on from here on out and it's not stopping and all the behind the scenes stuff even as a fan today as a 40 year old i will watch any behind the scenes studio stuff before any live footage anytime anywhere
2: i i think it's i think it's great and uh, i'm so thankful for, to, to you know not just to 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 be a part of it and to have done it but really that the band had the foresight. And I remember when I walked into their world, they were the band that did not film anything. You know, they were the band that did not do music videos. Right, yeah.
1: Four albums in and they have one music video.
2: Right. And they and that was kind of looked at as like, and we're not doing that again, you know? Right.
1: right. Oh, we're not gonna make that mistake again. We saw what happened with Jethro Tull. Let's not do that again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I remember that moment too. I didn't know them then. I just remember being so disappointed for them because it was so their moment and and to have it taken, you know, from them and everything. So um, I, I think it's it's just, it's amazing. Th- you know, thankfully, they've had the foresight to to film a lot of things. You know, not just me. They have these great people around them now who film and photograph and put out all this material. And, you know, you have to be brave enough to, to go with that, which, which they are. And, you know, I mean, some kind of monster proves that they'll, you know, they'll really go into some dark places and come out again, you know, and, and kind of keep, showing different stuff. So I, I, I think it's really, uh, it's really fun to have some small part of that and still, you know, just see it happening and, and being being part of. I You know, what I can say is I hope that someday, I know there's that traveling museum. I really hope someday, I have no knowledge about this, but I hope that someday there is a Metallica museum. Um, I did go to see them in 2018, they were playing in, in Stockholm, uh, Sweden. And I go sometimes as a fan. I mean, it's, you know, I always wanted to go see Sweden. And I was like, what's, everything's better with Metallica. Go, go to Sweden with Metallica. Absolutely. You know what I mean? it's, like, it's always cool. See a concert, but also kind of see the town. And in Stockholm, as there should be, there's an album museum. And I know that that some of the guys visited the ABBA museum. I wasn't there when they visited it, but it's obviously one of the attractions of the town, obviously a different kind of music, but certainly a, a legendary band that has stood the test of time that, that like just, you know, is, is one of the iconic bands. And I just, you know, it was a great thing because a lot of people have been born since ABBA has stopped working, you know, and like Mm -hmm. the museum was well attended and, a, and it was a really nice exhibit of, of what that band was about. And I had to think that, man, I hope that someday, someplace, there's something like this about Metallica. I know right now there's that touring portion, but hopefully it's, it's, they, they would do that one day. It just seems like like they've got all this great material. It, it should be something great. Someday
1: they need a permanent wing in the Smithsonian Museum. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: Adam's picture's on the wall. Part one, part two. Part two.
2: Right, right exactly. So yeah, it's it's nice. They have they have this great legacy, and and uh, I think the box set helps celebrate it. Um, I have no idea what they're going to do in December in in um, San Francisco. Are you going to
1: um, be at those shows?
2: I, I want to attend. Yeah, I, I have to I have to look into it. But um,
1: we'll be there as well.
2: Yeah, it, I mean it'd be cool to see. I know what they did at the 30th. I wasn't at the 30th uh, anniversary. Those looked like great shows. Um, but I think it'd be amazing to see this. But it's just amazing to celebrate the the continuing legacy of this band
1: and and to be a part of it i mean you are part of a very significant you know portion of their history and their story and it's amazing that you get to share that with them
2: yeah yeah i appreciate every minute of that and
1: we thank you as you know part of the metallica family year and a half is it's legendary it's iconic it's quotable and it literally stands the test of time 30 plus years later oh
2: thank you guys It, it means a lot and it's great that we're in this uh, age of, you know, uh, you know, where podcasts are now like another way to to share this, you know what I mean? And celebrate this this work of Metallica and, and kind of everything that goes on around Metallica because of it, you know?
3: we know you got to get going, Adam. But there's uh, thirty six thousand more questions. But Bob O'Rourke from Chicago couldn't say it better. Thank you for making such an incredible and quotable documentary. Jeff and I quote it at least once a day on tour if not via tech sometimes when we're <laughs> right. you know, making a sandwich of all things.
1: <laughs> making fucking sandwiches.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. You guys are great, and thank you. And, and uh, you know, maybe we'll talk again sometime. It would be, it'd be really cool. It's, it was entertaining, great questions, and uh, thank you for being a fan of my work like that. That's awesome.
3: Thank you so much. Hopefully we'll uh, see you in December at the Chase Center.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Thank you again, Adam.
2: Thank you so much. Shane, Jeff, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Be well.
0: Reaching out for something you got to feel Or clutching the one you thought was real Kicking at it dead off, pleasing you No way of showing your gratitude